Hi, I'm Tina Thomas. I'm the CEO of the Edmonton Community Foundation. And my definition of relentless is tenacity, stick to itness, um, perseverance to stay with things even when they're difficult. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Relentless Podcast. I'm Kyle Duguay, and I'm so happy to be here uh, with a very cool guest that we have on this episode, Tina Thomas, who is the CEO of the Edmonton Community Foundation, is here today. We're going to talk about her her journey to get to where she's at in her career, but also about community foundations, the importance of them, and, and uh, why communities need to know about them. So, Tina, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We have never met. No. We talked yesterday on the phone for a little bit. I bothered you on a holiday Monday, so I'm sorry for that. That's okay. Um, but it's really good to, to have you here and to meet you. We're going to talk a little bit about um, your career, what you have done in the past and what led you to your current role that you've been in for about seven months now. And then we're going to hopefully um, educate listeners if they don't know about the Edmonton Community Foundation or the importance of it in particular. Um, hopefully, we're going to let people know about that. Sounds great. You down with that? I'm down with that. Tina, tell us the story of Tina from the age of five. No, we won't. We don't. We don't have to do that. Um, I'm old. It would be a very long story. No, I, I'm. I think I'm older. So it. Yeah, it's. Isn't it weird that the older we get, it's like. Uh, our stories are getting long. Yeah. But tell us about your career. Prior to coming to uh, ECF, we call it, Edmonton Community Foundation. ECF is the easy way to say it. Um, what were you doing prior to that? And, and are you from the community? Are you from the area? Like, wh- what's going on? I grew up in Edmonton. I wasn't born in Edmonton, but I've lived here since I was just turning five. Oh, so I... Who knew when yeah. I said five? Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, I, w- I went through the elementary, uh, junior high, high school, all in Millwoods. Yeah. And uh, then I went to the U of A. Cool. Um, and from the U of A, I did a business degree. And yeah. from the U of A, I got a job in telecommunications. So I left Edmonton and I went and I was working in Ottawa for about 11 years. Oh, wow. And then I uh, had what, a baby. What, what, what do you mean telecommunications? What is that? So all of the equipment, like equipment here, um, that allows people to communicate with each other okay. um, digitally across um, the city, across the country, across the world. Okay. Um, so yes, I worked on um, the the pipelines, the the guts, um, um, the pieces that helped connect uh, okay. all the cities, all the thi- all the businesses, and. Um, individuals in the cities. Um, I worked for a company called uh, Nortel. So it was the yep. largest uh, company in Canada Huge for a company. long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At its height, I think we were over 100,000 employees Man. worldwide. Um, and at the bottom, we were, by the time I left, I think it was something like 18,000. So mm. lots and lots of layoffs. So it yeah. was a really wild uh, journey working for an organization like that in the best way. It yeah. was so good in so many ways. I learned so many things. I met amazing people. Um, you know, it was an organization that really allowed people to try different things. So I embraced that and I got to do a lot of different things while I was working there, you know, from changing technologies and learning about different technologies when I had zero knowledge of them in the first place to, you know, doing um, large events at 30 Rock in um, New York City to, um, you know, dealing with industry analysts from all over the world and trying to influence them on the positioning of our products. So it was, Hmm. it was a pretty interesting 
um, journey and it gave me tons of great experience. Yeah. And in Ottawa, such a beautiful city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really similar to Edmonton in many, many ways from yeah. a size perspective and yeah. even just a culture perspective, well, but, even but with, beautiful. With, with a, a main water line going through the middle of the city, like very, very similar. Yeah, two river yeah. and then the canal. The canal. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, you know, connections easily to Montreal, Quebec City, um, Toronto. So it was it was a, yeah. it was so a great experience a, for me. Not, I don't know what I'd say hub, but I mean, it is very close to a lot of places. You Can Youth Services was actually created in Ottawa. Oh, so I did our know that. Fa- Yeah, our founder, uh, the whole organization started in Ottawa. So I spent um, the first, oh man, I guess I've been doing this for 20 years. So since 03 to about 2016, I've probably made a good 30 trips to Ottawa. And I love that city. Beautiful. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. I was just there last week. Oh. And yes, I, I do love it. We wouldn't have left. Um, we probably could have stayed there, except I had a baby and mm. all my family is in Edmonton and yep. my husband's family is in Edmonton. So we decided it was time to come home and I worked yep. remotely for two years. So again, two telecommunications company yep. working remotely was very easy. So yep. I did that, you know, 15 years ago. So yeah. well be- before COVID and it was normal for most people, sure. I was a, I was a telecommuter. Sure. And you were, you were working at home before Anyone else was mm-hmm. whenever COVID hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nortel had all the technology to make that possible. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I worked out of Edmonton, but the my team was in San Jose, North Carolina, Toronto, hmm. no, all at Tron- um, Dallas. So like, I was working with people all over, all over North, North America. America. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, very cool. So you're back in Edmonton. You doing telecommunications from home. Raising family, Mm -hmm. doing all that type of stuff. It was just a lot to juggle all that at once. Then what did you do work-wise? Then, you know, uh, telecom was dying. It was the telecom bubble. And I had lived through probably 10 or 11 rounds of layoffs with Mm. Nortel, which wasn't fantastic. And I had always, you know, I, I happened into telecommunications. I did a business degree. It made lots of sense. But I had always felt like I wanted to um, spend my time and my te- provide my talents to organizations that provided more community good. And so interestingly, a role came up at the Edmonton Public Library as their director of marketing communications and fund development. And I applied for it and I got it. Mm. And I didn't, you know, I, I've said this all along my time at EPL that I probably thought I would stay there two years tops, you know, what could I possibly do at a public library for longer than that? Um, and I ended up staying there 13 years. Wow. Um, so it was, you know, extremely rewarding, lots of great opportunities to innovate, um, to change the perception of a well-used and loved organization in the city, but probably with um, not really well-known, um, thought of in very stereotypical ways. Um, so it was just a great opportunity to to use my marketing communications, business, um, project management skills um, in an organization that was really open and eager to allowing me to do that. Yeah. But you moved your way up from your original position. I did. I started as the director of marketing communications and fund development, and I had that role for about six or seven years. And then um, my boss, Pilar Martinez, um, was um, the executive director at that time. And when the CEO, Linda Cook, retired, Pilar got that role. And so she posted for a position similar to hers. So I I applied and got it. So I moved into the role of the executive director of strategy and innovation. So I kept marketing communications and fund development. I added research and assessment, technology services, and then all of our um, services to the public. So all of the programs that EPL provides into the community, the groups that led those fell under me. 
And I did that for about four years. And then I added um, branch services. So I moved into a role called the executive director of um, customer experience. And mm. I added our 22 <coughs> locations to my portfolio as well. Wow. And in the meantime, I did job. my library degree. In the <laughs> middle of that, I went back to school and I did my master's in library science through wow. the University of Alabama. I didn't even know you could get it library degree of course i yes. love that yes all the people that are um, librarians if you are a librarian you have masters in library and information studies my mom did not have that but she was a librarian at an elementary school yeah so what i was gonna say to you is you're a super cool librarian but my mom was a cool librarian too <laughs> i think all librarians are exactly. super cool yeah. but you know as well as i do like when i was growing up it was like librarians did have this this uh stereotype of like you know shh you're always shushing you. Yeah. Right? Well, or maybe that was just what I experienced. No, in I junior. think that's the stereotype that everybody. I got has. shushed a lot. And I, I know the the stereotypical stereotypical view of libraries is silence. Yes. And um, you know rules and authoritarianism, yes. and that really isn't the public library. That today. isn't. No. No, it's not. And I know this because many of the young people that you can use services with utilizes libraries a lot. Like a lot, and it's it's for their computers, it's for their technology. Um, it really is a very welcoming place to everyone in the community. Mm -hmm. I, that that's purposeful. Yeah, um, libraries are public libraries in particular are a community hub, one of the mm -hmm. last and only places where people can come and do what they want on their own time, mm -hmm. um, and not be concerned about purchasing something or needing to be kicked out because they've been somewhere too long. Um, and libraries have embraced that not only by the collections that they provide, but also the services. So whether it's classes that you can take that are recreational to, you know, professional development to adding real hard skills um, to your portfolio or to, you know, using our makerspace or our sound recording sure. studios. And um, there's such a variety of things that and people can do And those are things that people have no idea even exist at a library. I didn't, it, honestly, until maybe probably 10, 15 years ago, whenever our young people we're talking about accessing the library so much about all those things you just talked about. I was blown away by that, which because I, I think it's amazing. I really do. There's, I like how you said it's it's kind of a hub for the community, and anybody is welcome there. So yeah. Now listen, we're not here to pump up the library tires, although I think it's I think it's cool, and you are a cool librarian. Thanks, yeah. and I will always be a library You'll, lover. That's awesome. We actually, when we talked yesterday, I, I hung up the phone and I thought, you know. Tina might think that I read a lot by the way that I talked, and I really don't. I, and as you get to know me better, you're going to go, yeah, he really doesn't read a lot. He's not very educated. But um, I talked to you about how – I hope you don't mind. We're going to reiterate this a little bit. I, I, the audio books, I'm just starting to get into a little bit, which I think are, are cool. But I'm still a person who, if I can just read a – uh, a hard copy or a paperback. I just love the turning of the pages and the actual reading off the pages, right? But there's so many ways that people can get this information now, which I think is cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. Like you can take a physical book out of the library. You can download to your device an ebook. You can read it on your computer or your phone. You can listen to an audiobook, as I did this morning, driving into work, streaming yeah. through my car. Um, so I do think the um, the the channels for the content that are available through a public library really kind of support anybody's interest at any moment in time. Because I'll I. I haven't read an ebook and I'm not sure I'm not sure I will. Does it go on a Kindle or whatever? 
Oh, you can do it on your phone, like or, or your phone oh or your gosh, computer, your tablet. Like, yeah, but people that. love that, and I do get yeah. it. If you like to read, um, and you don't want to carry all those books with you, you could put ten books on your phone and read yeah. them. Um, Which I is just, amazing when you think. Yeah, about it. I mean, we've yeah. come so far. Yeah. But I personally love audiobooks because yeah. I think there's some amazing, talented people that are reading those. So it's like it makes me think of what radio plays were like sure. uh, in the early 1900s, if that's when they came out. But just the idea of listening to someone tell you a story um that can be quite fantastic yeah and i'm actually better at comprehending things if i'm listening rather than reading mm. right so no it makes sense it makes sense let's talk about your current role mm-hmm. um how'd you get that job uh, first of all what is the job and then how'd you get it so i am the ceo of the edmonton community foundation okay um and the edmonton community foundation is an organization that serves like the edmonton public library serves all edmontonians we serve all charities in the city um, and all donor types that are uh, interested in creating long-term support for the organizations they care about so they provide that money to us we invest the money and the interest from the money that sits goes back into the community every year so we're the largest non-governmental funder in the city we we grant out uh, over 30 million dollars a year wow Um, we're the fourth largest community foundation in canada i didn't know any of this when i was even applying for the job i had a a, um you know some ideas of the impact of the edmonton community foundation because epl had received funding from them And I had the chance to meet uh, Martin, who was the former CEO, and he'd been there for 17 years. And, you know, he was super generous with his time and his advice and his support of the charitable sector. Great guy. And I had the chance to meet him a couple times. And then once we went for coffee, this was about five years ago, and he said, you know, eventually I'm going to retire. You should think about ECF as your next step. You know, you've been at the library for a long time. You should think about ECF as your next step. And at that time, I probably knew very little about ECF, and I had a pretty interesting and exciting job. And you know, the renovation of the downtown library was underway mm-hmm. or just starting, and I had a big role to play in that. So it just wasn't the right time. I had no thoughts of leaving the library at that moment. And so I said, you know, I don't know that it's the right fit for me. And we left it. And then about two years ago, uh, in the fall of 2021, Martin and I went out for lunch again. I gave him a tour of the library, we went out for lunch again. And at the end of it, he said, you know, I am now really going to retire. And you should think about this job because I think the, li- the downtown library is done. You've been at the library a long time. This would be a really interesting move for you. Um, and, you know, I think we could use someone, the foundation could use someone with your experiences. And at that moment, I thought, you know, maybe it is the right time for me. Um, and at that time, I'd been at the library for 12 years and, uh, you know, I'd done a lot of things. Um, I'd accomplished a lot of things. And I do think there becomes a point, I didn't feel it yet, where you can become stale. Mm. You know, I still had lots of ideas of different programs and services and ways that the library could do things differently. But I also knew that if I stayed in that role longer, my it, things were going to become more and more routine. And my ability to contribute was probably going to lessen. Uh, mm. That was just my feeling. I know yeah. there are people in organizations and they spend their whole life there and they don't feel that way. But I don't and know there's that people that-, that would disagree with you on. They would say, well, no, that's not that's not the way you were. You were still innovative. You were still this and that. But that's not how you felt. I didn't I didn't feel like I was stale yet. Right. But I did start to think I don't want to leave when you I can am. see it coming. Yeah, I don't want to I don't want to get to a point where like I'm phoning it in or, right. you know, people aren't seeing the value that I'm providing to the organization. Well, you want to have passion for your job. If, if you're a lucky enough person to have passion 
and love getting up every day to go to your job, what a blessing. Like it's massive. You maybe were starting to go, well, if this keeps going, that that might start to slow down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I said, I still, I did have passion. I still had ideas. I just, like you said, I did not want that to, to be at a point where it was now, now I don't. Right. And now I'm starting to think of what's next, not yeah. only for me, but for my organization sure. as well. So I thought, okay, this is, maybe this is the right time. I've just, there's, we've just come through COVID. We've just completed a really big project. There's new things coming, but do I need to be at the table for them? Maybe it's time for someone else to be there and to bring their ideas. New ideas, Mm -hmm. new thoughts. So that's where it became, when Martin came to me with that idea, I thought, okay, maybe this is the time and who knows what'll happen. Um, But at least now I know I'm open to a change. And so that's that's how it started. Um, And then really the whole recruitment process, I will say, um, it could go either way, but the interview with the board, I got to meet six of the members of the board and they were fantastic. They were so open to new ideas. They were so open to, you know, if I had thoughts about how we could do things differently, it made me feel like, because I've never reported directly to a board. I've worked with the board at the Edmonton sure. Public Library. I've been on boards, but I've never reported directly. So there's always some worry about how that would actually work. But it just seemed like a really open group of people, even though I only met six. And it just gave me such a positive feeling about what it might be like to work for this organization. And then as I started to read more, learn more, talk to more people about ECF, I started to get more and more excited because it started to dawn on me, wow, this organization really has a lot of impact in the Mm -hmm. community. Mm -hmm. Um, And Martin obviously saw that you potentially could could take over you know martin and i did we we did one lunch for sure um maybe two martin never asked me to put my name in um martin was just like see you later bud when we were done he was like hey i think he bought so thanks martin for buying lunch but he was like see you later dude and that was it so good for you i'm not sure i can imagine martin saying no he didn't say dude thanks he said truthfully like he's a smoker like him and i would just hack darts down out on a patio it was awesome but uh no, he didn't ask me to put my name in. Good for you, though. Excellent for you. Now, you took this role over seven months ago. It's a big job, but let's explain to listeners what, in more detail, what the Edmonton Community Foundation does. Because uh, in very simplistic terms for me, because I am a simple person, there's kind of two sides to this. There's the charity side, which I'm on, where I call Tina and I go, hey, Tina, here's my application form. We would like you to support this whatever program, whatever this is. Then there's the other side of it where the people are actually giving the community foundation the money. And there's, I mean, it's it's quite distinct. It has to be. Let's go into details about what those processes are, like like how people can get involved on both sides. Yeah, I think it's, and again, I just learned about this and what it really means when I started working there and how I think the Edmonton Community Foundation and many community foundations, because they don't all operate the same, but how ECF is different is that our, our base is endowments. So the idea that money is given by donors that then is invested in the long term. So that money basically is a savings account. Yeah. It goes into the bank, <clears throat> it sits, and interest is generated off of that Which savings. Which right now is awesome. It can be. I mean, the markets weren't great last year, That's so true. it was down. But if we think about it over a long-term perspective, the long-term returns 
are positive. Yeah. It's like saving for university through an RRSP or sure. saving through your retirement through an, uh, sorry, RESP with yeah. an RRSP for your saving, for your retirement. It's a similar idea to say, I am going to invest in myself or invest in this organization so that I don't, I'm not living check to check. I'm right. not. I'm not trying to keep the lights on because I don't know where my fun- funding is coming right. from. So ECF is in, it was established as an endowment-based foundation. So there is money that sits, and there are very smart people. We have an investment committee made up of professional um, institutional investors from across the city that help guide that investment, and that investment over time then earns interest. And the interest from those loans is what we give those investments is what we give out into the community every year. Mm-hmm. So donors come to us and say, I really love um, youth serving organizations, or yeah. I really love UCAN. They yeah. could say specifically, I love UCAN, I like youth serving organizations, or I like youth service, serving organizations, literacy and healthcare. Help me use my funds over the long term to support those organizations. Right. So rather than going to organizations individually with small pockets of money all the time, they might say, okay, I'm going to start in a fund and I'm going to put money into that fund year after year and the interest from that I'm going to distribute. So they'll tell ECF every year, whenever they feel like it, you know, if it's in January, March, September, okay, I want to give a certain percentage to UCAN this year or I want to give money to literacy organizations, can you help me distribute it? And that's where we use our expertise, knowledge of what's going on in the sector, who the organizations are to say, this is where we see some needs. So about 70% of the funding that we get from donors has donors providing advice, whether directly or about uh, causes that they care about. And we distribute based on their interest. The remaining 30 to 40%, we have some discretion on. And mm-hmm. that's where the granting side comes in when you yep. say you call and say, <clears throat> hey, I, I'm, I've got this project that I'm working on. So the other side is we've got a granting team. Mm-hmm. And that granting team has cycles when they are asking for community input on areas that they um, organizations need funding for. And then we have committees, committees made up of people from the community with expertise in those areas. So healthcare has the healthcare committee has people that work in healthcare. The arts committee has people that work in the arts. They review those applications and then we make decisions based on the funding we have on how that granting will be provided. Mm-hmm. So those are the two sides that allow us to you know, receive money, ha- see it grow over time and then give money back into the community. All right. The Edmonton Community Foundation, I, <clears throat> you're gonna, people know to fact check me on this podcast because I sometimes I just make stuff up just for funsies. But if I'm not mistaken, this started late 80s. I'm going to go 87 or 88. Um, I believe that there were three or four families that started it, uh, the pools, um, who I had the absolute honor of knowing Barbara Poole before she passed away. Uh, probably the last two, three years of her life. Just an extraordinary, extraordinary lady. Um, and then I believe the Stollaries, if I'm not mistaken. That's right, yeah. And were the Foots involved in that? No, the Foots came in later? The Foots came in later. Right. And then who else was involved in the beginning? The know? beginning was the Pools the, and the Stollaries. Yeah, it okay. was two Pools. Um, right. The two Pool brothers That's and right. families. Yeah. And the Stollaries. So and it was pool, those- for those that don't know, uh, the Pools are... are Pool Construction Limited, PCL. That's right. Um, incredible um, philanthropists throughout their lives. And then they decided, because I've read on this, whenever I got to know Barbara, 
they decided, okay, we need a community foundation. So it can't just be a whole bunch of individuals just constantly giving money here and giving money there. We need some sort of a mechanism, which is why this whole thing started in Edmonton. The importance of it, the impact that that ECF has had on this community, I actually think that most people don't understand the impact that they've had. I don't think people get how many charities have benefited from ECF which then means how many people that mm-hmm. these charities serve have impacted from ECF. Um, let's talk a little bit about the importance of the fact that these people, and they, they, let's call it what it is, they're wealthy people mm-hmm. who love their community so much and said, we need to give back. Let's create this. Let's talk about the importance of that. Let's talk about the importance of a community foundation to this community where it's almost a behind the scenes thing that's happening where a lot of our community doesn't even know what's happening. Yeah, I definitely would say a lot of the community doesn't know what's happening. I, you know, back to their initial investment, that idea, they could have, so the initial investment by those three families was 5 million each. Right. And so at that time, that is a lot of money. A lot of money. But even at the same time, it's not as big as you would think it would be to think that ECF's, um, the value of our fund today is over 700 million. Amazing. So it does show the, the power of investment and compounding. Like yeah. these are, you know, basic financial planning skills sure. applied to the charitable sector. So the smartness of them was to say, I'm not just going to give $5 million to an organization. Yeah. They might have done that also, but they're, they're investing in the long-term viability of our city mm-hmm. by saying, I'm going to put this pool in here and I'm going to see that pool grow over time and I'm going to invite other people to start contributing to it as well. Yeah. So you mentioned the foots. That came later, seeing that same model. So I do think the value of a community foundation is that we are in the community. We are people who care about the community we serve and the interests of the donors and the interests of the charitable sector for Edmonton is served by us. So there are foundations, like the University of Alberta, for example, will have a foundation. Mm -hmm. Their interest is the University of Alberta, which is great. Makes sense. Um, Makes total sense. And when people contribute to that, they're contributing to the University of Alberta. What's, I think, exceptional about ECF and probably what interests me coming from an organization like EPL, which is for the whole community, it's a public library. It's not a university library. It's not a school library. It's not for one community. It's for the whole community. I think that's very parallel to the Edmonton Community Foundation because we are a foundation for the whole city. That's right. We serve every different type of charity you could think of, every probably every charitable organization in the city has received funding through ECF either directly or indirectly at some point yep. in their history. Yep. And we then also serve the interests of donors, whether they are, you know, people like me when I started a fund, not, you know, wealthy, not, you know, huge donor bases, but saying, I know I can contribute to the things, the causes, the organizations that I care about in the long term. I could give them $100, $1,000 on an annual basis every once in a while. But if I really want the charities that I care about to have sustainability, then I'm investing in them with an organization mm-hmm. like ECF. So it allows people like me to do that, but then it also allows corporations, sure. larger donors to I, do the I same. I was going to say, it's not just the very wealthy no. that put money into these foundations. Um, I actually know people who've done you know well in life. They've sold their businesses. They're not the billionaires or the multi, multi, multi millionaires, but they have decided to take some of their money and they've decided to put it into a community foundation, either ECF or, or potentially a smaller one in the area. 
so that they can now have their money, like you said, making money every year, and then they're able to give that money out. And it's a legacy project, really, for them, right? So that hopefully that kind of lasts forever, Mm -hmm. that it continues to go on. Well, I think about the size of the ECF fund now, which has grown quite a bit in the last couple of years. But I ask, you know, cumulatively, how much have we actually given? And it's over $330 million. It's amazing. So our fund is $700 million. We've given, we still have the $700 million, and right. we've given $330 million. In the, since the late 80s. Since we started. It's yeah. unreal. So, and that's only going to grow. No, there 100%. are funds that we have that the value of the fund the value of what's been given exceeds the value of the fund now yeah. because the fund has grown and their contribution that they're giving out into the community every year over time has now exceeded what the fund size actually is. Right. It's amazing. So that's, again, that's the power of thinking of philanthropy this way. Um, it's, it's very different than, uh, you know, I'm going to write you a check for $500 and hope that that helps you this year. Mm-hmm. But there's still value in that, mm-hmm. right? You I need mean, a combination of both. You have to. I mean, as a guy who runs a charity, I can't go, hey, people, don't donate to me because I'm hopeful ECF's going to give me some money. But I would say what I want to see as a change is I want organizations like you can to also say, I can set up my own fund. Sure. I can start. I can you know, do my events and raise the money I need to do to help with operations this year. But I might be thinking about taking part of the money that I raise and putting it into my own fund sure. and asking my donors to contribute to that fund so that I have both sources of income coming in. Hello, everybody. My name is Kyle Dubay, and I'm the host of the Relentless Podcast. I'm so glad that you're listening. I'm so glad that you're going to join us. Being relentless is not easy, but being relentless can work. That was the aha moment. Then the work started. Yeah. Specifically, what I cared about was the organizations that were having an impact in the lives of youth. Everybody's welcome down yeah. here, and that's what we want at the ballpark. Inclusive. It is inclusive. For your first podcast, you really went all out. It, we're not playing here. Like we're this is what we do. This looks like a, like a low rent UFC show, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, like you you're know like me a the Dana bit. White of UCAN. Uh, with the bald head, you're, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And Dana I'm, Beige. Yeah. I love talking to these folks. I love learning about them, hearing their stories, and I hope that it's going to be the same for you. So let's have an honest conversation because you're talking to an executive director yeah. of a charity. I that I go, yeah, that makes sense. But then I go, oh, but I, want, I need that money now. So I'm gonna, like, let, let's talk about this. And I'm not trying to argue against the idea because I actually like the idea. We were able this year to put a substantial amount of money into a GIC. We're making some good interest. Yes, this is great. But I need that money because eventually we're looking at purchasing a building. Mm-hmm. And and we need that money because for me, that building is going to actually be a massive asset for us that's going to help us secure more funding and more things in the future. So you get what I'm saying. There's this whole game. You know this from the library. There's a whole game you got to almost play. We got to have all these different pieces in play. So the idea of me eventually one day saying, here's a million dollars and to start our own fund. I'm using fake numbers, but here's a million dollars to start our own fund. And um, we would like to uh, just give us the interest every year or whatever that looks like. I mean, I don't know how this all works. And I'm learning as we talk here. So so sell me on this, Tina. Would Would it not be smarter for me to then just put 
my money into my own foundation? Because I know of organizations that have like their own foundation that they can just pull from then. Yeah, the the whole piece about that is then you have to set up a foundation, which is a whole extra project. So for me, I would say, why do the work that someone else can do for you? The other piece is we have a very smart group of people that are managing our investments. We have a large fund size. So you're going to benefit from pooling your money with our money. Like it's the, this is again, the basics of why. You're selling me on this. Yeah, I I do. The other piece I'd say is don't think about a million dollars. Like if you're thinking that I have to have a million dollars to start a fund, that's a big hurdle. Yeah. I would think instead, how do I start so that I'm growing it over time right. and getting little bits of money. But in the next 10 years, how large could that fund be? Right. If I think about, um, you know, thinking about donors that care about you and love your organization, well, they might start giving a little bit of money to your fund and they might think, okay, in my will, I'm going to leave some money to you, can, mm-hmm. And then that percent, that could then also start growing your fund. So here's a question for you, because again, this is all new to me. As our organization, listen, we've been around 20 years. Um, a little slow to get into this game, to be honest with you, but we, we've always been a very small organization. And so I believe we're at this tipping point now. You know, we've done really well in the last five, six, seven years. Um, where we went from having a deficit to having some good money in, in unrestricted and restricted assets as we build towards purchasing a building mm-hmm. and and having. So when you use the word sustainability, to be honest with you, as a charity guy, it's almost I kind of cringe a little going, oh, that's a tough word to throw around, even though one of our strategic uh, priorities is financial sustainability, right? Uh, sustainability for a charity is really hard it's really really hard and i think that when people think um and i'm 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 making assumptions here which i don't mean to and i don't mean to categorize everybody in this but quite often when people think of a charity they think of the big the big guys they think of the big people the the boys and girls clubs the big brothers big sisters the ymcas whatever that is all of us little folks that are running charities sustainability is a very difficult thing to achieve um, I think we're in a really good financial spot right now as an organization, but I would not say we are sustainable. Yeah, and I think, again, part of it for me is, again, my own thinking about myself. I have not worked for a pure charity. You know, I worked at the Edmonton Public Library, public sector. I'm now working for Edmonton Community Foundation as a foundation. I would struggle to work at an organization that at the end of the year has to raise all the money next year to keep the lights on. Right. And from end, I love that end you're saying also that. could be at the whim of the donors that give the money to those charities to say, yes. you know, I really think this is important and I'm going to give you $500,000, Kyle. So now you should be, I really think you should focus on this. And I sure. would think as the executive director or the staff, you're thinking it's hard for me to say no to that because otherwise I don't have their funding and I can do most of what I want, but I'm now going to have to do this too. Yes. And I do think, I, I do get the picture that it has to be a combination of both. But if you can start putting away, that's like that's how I describe it. Like Start saving for yourself and getting your donors to see the value of you doing that then you can have sustainability and autonomy because you have your own sources of funding coming in mm-hmm. for yourself that you have control over. We have a great story. Um, and one of the fundraisers for it came and spoke to our board a couple weeks ago. And it's an, or- an arts organization in the city that over the last 20 years has been 
creating their endowment. So it's a long time. Sure. But really, the big focus has probably been in the last five to 10. That funding, if you can imagine an arts organization during COVID, mm. they were shut down. They yep. couldn't do any performances. Yep. Um, you know, how are they keeping their staff? They were able to sustain themselves because they had regular money coming in because they have their own endowment. Sure. They have an endowment that was created by many people all to support them as an organization. So I'm assuming with an endowment then um, that it's all set up probably, I don't know, you tell me, we don't have to get into the nitty gritty of this, but it's all set up where if, if we have one or if an organization has one that um, we have access to that money, but it's only a certain amount of money every year. If we wanted more or we needed more, I should say, do you then have to give sort of a case for support or, or you know what I'm saying? So I think there's, yeah, we're getting into lots of details. I think there are models that we can, we can establish that could work for the organization separately than the standard one we have, which is mostly endowments. But I think about even an organization like Boyle, um, which is doing exactly as you described for yourself. They've got a capital campaign yeah. and the smartness of some of the people that are is that are leading their fundraising is to say, yep, we've got a capital campaign, but while we're doing the capital campaign, we're going to start an endowment because we know we need to operate this on an ongoing That's basis. Right. And how are we going to operate on it? Do we yeah. want to be at the whim of what government is in place at this moment in time? Sure. Do we want to be at the whim of my donor is interested in me for these three years, but now really cares about something else? Yeah. That's also which can, important. Which, which can happen. Which happens all yeah, the time. All the time. So how do you then do both? You know, say you funders, thank you for helping us build this building. And thank you for also giving us some security in the operations by allowing us to create this endowment mm. that is going to help sustain what we do in this building over time. Yeah. When I was at the Edmonton Public Library, again, not an organization that fundraises as its primary purpose. Um, but we just before I left, we implemented a program called Ready, Set, Read, um, which is providing books to children in communities throughout the city. And we fundraised for five years of that program, but it's a team of three. And so my view was we can't fund or if we want this program to continue, are we going to have to fundraise for it every year? A team of three can't do that. And there's going to be other priorities. So if we want it to sustain, let us fundraise for an endowment for this program so that that program then is funded through the money that's sitting at the Edmonton Community Foundation. So again, I think it's just a different way it can be a different way for the charitable sector to be thinking about how do we take a little bit more control over how we are creating sustainability and autonomy for ourselves. It's a good way to look at it. And, and I do think that we, it has to be balanced. You know, there's a variety of ways to fundraise. And um, I, I, we're going to look into it. I, th I think it's an interesting way to look at it. And it is a long game mm -hmm. thinking, which I like game. the long game thinking, right? I do. Um, you are passionate about this. You're getting a little fired up here. I love it. I just, I think there are opportunities. I think there's lots of opportunities for us to do things differently and better. Um, I think I'm not saying mine is the only way. I'm sure I'll, well, there will be 10 other things that we come up with and there could be 10 other things that we didn't even think about. But I, I do uh, love thinking about how can we do this differently and better. Mm -hmm. If you, you know, some messages that go up, because like we talked about earlier, um, a lot of people don't even know about the Edmonton Community Foundation. So what? how do we change that? How, how do we get people knowing about it, maybe being more involved and, and looking at it more seriously and, and understanding the impact that it has in the community. Cause I will, I'll say this is that we've received money from, from ECF. 
Um, there's some that we've put in for that we've gotten, some we've put in for that we didn't get. But we're actually the beneficiary of uh, of some money every October from one of the endowments. Mm-hmm. I mean, am I allowed? To, I, we put them on our website. I think I'm allowed to say who it is, right? Sure. Um, um, the Eldon and Anfoot Foundation, or, or no fund, fund, mm-hmm. fund. Um, so we're very fortunate that that somebody within their family and and where they direct their money heard of us, saw us, and this is a few years back now, probably five, and really appreciated and loved what we were doing, and just said, "Listen, we want to be able to give you uh, some money every year." And it floored me, to be honest with you. It just kind of came out of nowhere. I got this letter from ECF, and I was like, "Okay, what does this mean?" And and it was such a it's a beautiful gift every year that helps us. Mm-hmm. It really does, right? So. Um, we're the benefactors of it. And, and so my point is our young people are, they're the ones that benefit. From yeah, that absolutely. Money, right. So how can we get, I mean, obviously me saying that, uh, however many people are listening is great, but like, how do you guys as an organization start shouting from the rooftops and pumping your tires out in the community? So it's, um, it is, you know, you talked a little bit about you're working on a strategic plan. That is one of the three priorities of our strategic plan is expand our reach. So part of it is, you know, a little bit of people, I, I don't want, it's not about pumping the tires of the Edmonton Community Foundation. For me, the awareness of the Edmonton Community Foundation and growing that awareness and expanding our reach is so that we can better serve the community organizations that we serve. Mm-hmm. The more that knowledge people have about how their contributions through us can support <laughs> charities, the better off the charitable sector will be. So that's the interest. Um, so so we that is a, one of the three goals in our strategic plan. So we've got quite a bit. Of what are the work. other two goals? Um, deliver impact. Okay. So that, that one is really around focus. So I think we can and will continue to be a 360 funder. We will fund all sectors of the charitable sector. But I think there are gaps in the community that are not being filled where ECF, because of the kind of organization we are, can put some time and attention. Um, we are not, because we have a long-term funding, we have a long-term vision for our funding, we are not, we don't need to be swayed by political interests or things that are happening at this moment in time. Not when you got 700 mil. Like it's, as, let's yeah. call it what it is. Yeah. You got some power behind that money. We, and you've got power to make decisions behind that money. We have a large fund. We fund quite a bit annually. Um, and, you know, we don't have discretion over all of that, but we have enough discretion that the funding that we have discretion over can have an impact. I think the bigger thing is, is that we are not tied to any specific agenda or organization. Right. We can determine that based on community need. Mm. And I and I think that gives us the ability to look at issues that other organizations wouldn't look at um, and because we can give it time. We don't have to see results in a year, in two years. We can say, you know, this is an important issue and it's going to take us five years, 10 years to see a material impact on it. And that's the exercise I want our organization to do with the community to say, let's look at everything. Let's look at all the the social issues, the societal issues, the needs of the charitable sector and think about how can we support that through our organization? Because there's a gap in the community and that gap can be well suited through ECF, whether it's us bringing the right people together or funding something that already exists. So are you talking potentially about maybe doing long-term funding? Do you know what I'm saying? Because I'll say this as a charity guy, um, two, three-year grants, awesome. We love them. We do them all the time. Uh, 
five-year grants would be better. Mm-hmm. We can actually measure impact more. Um, I don't think anyone's ever going to give you a 10-year grant. But those, I, I, I believe a five-year, you can measure impact more, and it actually can lead to more sustainability for the organization where now you're not having to rewrite applications yes. every year, every second year, because a lot goes into that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Yes, I, <clears throat> I, it, it absolutely could. I mean, I, as you know, um, ECF does have two- and three-year grants that mm-hmm. we provide, but what you probably don't know is that several of those two and three year grants have been seven and eight year grants in that sure. they've been renewed. Sure. Um, so I do think there's an opportunity for us to think about what really is a project and leave that to the side, whether that's a one year or two year or three year. And what is it where there is, like I said, a gap, a need where maybe it's you can working with four other organizations on something together mm-hmm. to say this is an issue with youth that is not being well served right now. Sure. How can ECF support that? Mm-hmm. Um, so we can't do that for every area. I don't think we need to do that for every area because there's lots of organizations that are serving a variety of needs in the city. What I want us to do is think about the gap. Where where are we missing something? Where are we missing something where time and the ability to put the time in might be the reason why no one's playing in that space? Yeah. Um, one of the ones, and I don't know that this will be an area of focus, but one of the ones from my time at EPL that I'm that I feel passionate about and I'm seeing is a gap is early literacy. Mm. It's really hard to say that I'm going to invest any organization. I'm going to invest in children when they're one to five, because I'm not going to see the outcome until they're 20. Sure. That's a long time. But there's so much evidence. There is, there are books and books of evidence. That number of, you know, well-researched data that shows the investment in children one to five has a material impact on their life when they're 18, has a material impact on the ability of a community to thrive and grow. Um, But, you know, that's not an area where there's a lot of focus on in our city. There are pockets Um, But it's hard because you really have to invest and be committed to something for a long term to see a change. Tina, it's so hard. No organization, including yours, is going to be able to hit every single pocket. It's impossible. And I just think that we do what we can for who we can. And um, I do... I. You, you know, for for us, you can't. We can't save every young person. We can't work with every. We can't be everything to everybody. No. It's impossible for us. So we just try to be really good at what we're good at, and try to have impact on as many lives as we possibly can that way. Um, you know, when you guys are going to focus in on more focus, I think it's great. You know, I think it's good that you guys are going to look. I, I I know that there are some of those grants, two or three years, that do go longer. Right? Can I can I say one thing? If if they're going to extend it, maybe we don't have to reapply the whole application. Can I just throw that out? Yeah, you can. Any, and any I have grant a feeling. People listening? No, and I and I think I mean our grant people are um, wholly committed to making that grant process as easy, transparent, and workable mm. for the, the the organizations they work with. I, that is one thing I've heard from many of the people in the charitable sector that I've yeah. talked to is that <laughs> as a funder. While we certainly have areas we can improve, ECF is is better because we have less hoops. Yes, and we're more um, collaborative, and we'll fund things that other people won't fund. Like well, those are and all and great. I agree. I agree. My, my only thing is is I and I fully and I expect accountability uh, measures to be put into play. I actually get frustrated. Um, there's, a, there's a couple funders out there over the years. I'm talking 20 years, where it's, it's honestly easy money, and people are getting this easy money, and I'm thinking to myself. Well, 
very honestly, why, why are these guys getting it? Because they're probably going to bullshit about their stats and they're not going to. And I love accountability. I want that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't. I think it needs, you got to put some effort in to get some money. I believe that. Uh, my big thing, though, is that if we're extending something and we're, we're literally not changing the work because it's working and it's great and the funder says, this is good, we want to give you another year, another two, another three years, then why are you making us rewrite the entire thing totally and then agree. actually saying, change it up a little bit? Yeah, and no. Like, that doesn't um, make sense to me. The person who, um, Andrea, who is responsible for um, administering our larger and longer term grants, has said exactly the same yeah. thing. So this, that is a model that well, we I think are it just makes it easier on everybody involved. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Right? So this has been really good. And you know what's interesting is that you were like, I don't think we can talk that long. <laughs> And we have talked for about, I think it's more than 45 minutes. Oh, wow. Went by fast. It did. This has been good. Uh, is there anything else that you want to touch on for Edmonton Community Foundation? Is there anything else that you um, you know, want the community to know and, and maybe how they can get involved? Uh, I, I'll reiterate the two things. One, I do think um, our foundation, the way that we operate, the way that we're going to modify how we operate, Um, is an opportunity for donors to have longer-term impact on the community we love and live in and for the charitable sector to think about how they have sustainability and autonomy. And I think the Edmonton Community Foundation is uniquely positioned on both those fronts. So that is why I'm so excited about the role that I have right now. Um, So I'd like to, you know, see more and more um, people think differently about how the charitable sector is funded. Um, on the other side, I, this piece about where we're going to focus, we're going to spend some time. We're not going to know it right away. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, people that are in the charitable sector, don't be worried. Um, we're not going to do this in isolation. We're really going to look for input, guidance, feedback, uh, their expertise to help us determine where those gaps are that ECF is best suited to support. That's awesome. Thank you so much uh, for being here. We are going to do what I call the relentless quiz. Mm. And this is very exciting. Okay. Uh, this will determine <clears throat> if you are relentless, though. Okay. So there's no pressure, Tina. There's no pressure. Um, are you ready? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> Scientifically proven. <laughs> we didn't get a grant to do it. Okay. Just saying, but it's, <laughs> it's scientifically proven. Fruits or vegetables? Oh, vegetables. Okay. City or countryside? City. They're very fast on yeah. these answers. Dirty bathroom or dirty kitchen? Oh, gosh, neither. No. <laughs> no way on either of those. Gosh. <laughs> it's so hard for me not to comment, but it's scientific, so I can't. Yeah, there you go. Um, I'll, I'll be looking forward to what this says about me afterwards. <laughs> that's right. Salty or sweet? Sweet. Interesting, because you go vegetables and then you go sweet. Yeah. And people that go fruits usually go salty. Yeah, but I like dark chocolate. So is it sweet? It's probably bitter Mm. with like dark chocolate with salt. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know it doesn't look like I would ever eat anything like that. (laughs) It looks like I don't eat vegetables. I know. Uh, Morning or night? Both. I am an early riser and a late sleeper. My best thing would be to have a nap in the afternoon. Oh, so you're your napper. I, I'm not, but, but I probably but you could, would like I, w- one. I would love it. At probably yeah. at like four in the afternoon, I could oh. have a nice nap. That would be good. Or 10 in the morning. But usually I'm, morning. I'm usually, <laughs> no, because I'm usually up by six and I don't wow. go to bed till midnight. So it'd be wow. nice to have something in so the middle. So you're going six hours a night most nights? Six or less. Yeah. Wow. Favorite comedy movie? Favorite comedy movie. 
Oh my goodness. I can't think of one right now. Come on. What makes you laugh, Tina? What makes you laugh? What <laughs> well, makes- I mean, I can think of favorite comedians. I mean, I do love Dave Chappelle and I did love the Chappelle show. Okay. It's not a movie. Um, no, we'll take I, it. Well, we'll take and it. I also loved Seinfeld. So, like these are shows, yeah, not but movies. We'll take something. it. We'll yeah. take it. We'll take it. Uh, big party or small gathering? Small gathering. Did it used to be a big party when you were younger? Because some people say that they've changed that way. Where no. now it's like oh, small gathering. No, is I nice. think I've always liked smaller groups of people. Okay. Phone in the bathroom or no phone in the bathroom? No phone in the bathroom. Okay, I think people just say that. I think people lie. <laughs> um, <laughs> favorite love song of all time. Love song of all time. Oh, I can't, you know, I don't know, of all time. I do, I do love Adele's version of um, Love Song by The Cure. Okay. It's fantastic. I will check and that out. And even her, she's got another song out right now, To Be Loved, that she sings on her couch and like sitting looking. I mean, it's just honestly, Adele could Somebody sing Somebody is an Adele fan. I am an Adele fan. Yeah. Somebody, did Someone you, have hooked you seen me up her, with tickets to her to see Vegas. Have you seen her live? No. 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 You're gonna. Yeah, no, I can't spend $10,000 on you're concert gonna. tickets. I know you're gonna. <laughs> you love her that much. I'll cake. sneak in. Cake or pie? Cake. Fruit. Last. I already said I don't want fruit. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I guess pie is mostly fruit, For, yeah, isn't it? Fruit and pastry. I have a meat pie. No. Yeah, no. that's true, but I'll take a chocolate cake. Okay. Uh, last question. Describe your relentless podcast experience in four words. Lots of fun. That's three words. Lots <laughs> having of lots of fun. Having, that's, okay. that's five that's words now. Having no. lots of fun. No, that's four. Okay. Okay, perfect. So you had fun. I did. Yeah. Well, this has been great. It's been, it's been honestly a pleasure to meet you. This is so good that we were able to let people know about the Edmonton Community Foundation and about yourself. And I hope, I know this is what I do believe is that once this gets out to a lot of the charities, they're going to be like, who is this? Dude, if they don't know you and they're, I think they're really going to enjoy this. So this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Where can we find, are you on socials that you want to advertise at all? And if not, where can we find info on the Edmonton Community Foundation? Uh, Edmonton Community Foundation is ecfoundation.org. That's our website. I'm Yeg Tina T on Twitter. And you can find me on LinkedIn as I think Yeg Tina T also. Yeah, Yeg Tina T. That sounds cool. Yeah, it's because Tina Thomas is a very common name. And I couldn't get Tina in any version that I tried. You sound like a rapper. (laughs) <laughs> Yay, Tina T is in the house. <laughs> no. No? Okay. But, but thank you. Well, I think you you uh, you might do a little rap when we don't you don't know <laughs> when you're on your phone in the bathroom. Okay, we yes. will end it there, <laughs> Tina. <laughs> thank you so much for being on the Relentless Podcast. And folks, you can find everything about you can use services at youcan.ca. That's y-o-u-c-a-n.ca and also our socials are you can or at you can edmonton and you can find me at twitter at kyle dubay thanks for listening everybody and thanks tina once again for being here thank you